The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am very delighted to be welcoming today Kathleen Kendall Tackett. Kathleen, welcome. Thank you, Marie. Kathleen, in case you are not familiar with her, uh, Kathleen has a gigantic uh, resume. We have written only a small part of it on the website, but I'll give you just a brief notion here, and I'll let you read the rest on the web so that you actually have a chance to hear from Kathleen. Um, she is a PhD, IBCLC, FAPA, and a health psychologist, lactation consultant, and she specializes in women's health research, including breastfeeding, depression, which we're going to talk about today, trauma, and health psychology. Kathleen is the owner and editor-in-chief of Preclaris Press. She's also the editor-in-chief of the uh, Clinical Lactation Journal. She has been and is an associate professor. She has taught at universities. She is the author of, are you ready for this, either author or edited more than 24 books. That just boggles my mind. And uh, when we get through this evening, I'll let you, t- I'll let Kathy tell you where to find her. But I'd just like you to please be tuned into the idea that one of her publications is Depression in New Mothers. And with Nancy Morbacher, who we had on the show earlier this year, Breastfeeding Made Simple. So if you don't get enough of Kathy today, believe me, there is way, way more. And I'm sure that she has plenty to share with you both this evening and ongoing. Kathy, uh, you are such a very, very interesting woman and a very interesting topic that we have at hand, which is postpartum depression. So one of the things that I've learned in my life as a nurse is that people don't really understand sometimes what postpartum depression is. Can you give us just a brief understanding of what is postpartum depression and how does it differ from some of the other similar mood disorders? Well, uh, postpartum depression, you know, kind of in its simplest form is just depression that occurs after you have a baby. Um, But if you look at the diagnostic criteria that the American Psychiatric Association uses, they say, you know, if you have to have one of these mood disorders actually with a postpartum onset, it has to be within the first four weeks. But really the way the research literature describes it is really any time in that first year. And I think actually that's a much better 
yeah. definition yeah. of it. Because yeah. postpartum is a little bit limited. That's actually one of the reasons why I changed, you know, the title of our book to, um, used to be Postpartum Depression, A Comprehensive Approach for Nurses. And I changed it to um, Depression in New Mothers. Because I think actually that's a better title. So think about it as depression any time within that first year, postpartum year. Now we can also talk about perinatal depression. And that actually includes pregnancy. Uh, and we actually find that that's a higher risk time, actually, believe it or not, than postpartum. Uh, but postpartum depression, uh, you know, and again, like I said, it's depression. It's it's just like regular depression. You know, there there was a lot of kind of discussion about, well, you know, is it is a unique kind of um, set of symptoms and stuff. And really, you know, the more I look at the research literature, and it's been 25 years since I wrote the first book, um, it really does seem like it's depression. It's depression that just happens with some unique triggers, you know, of the postpartum period. To me, in my clinical head, you just hit it right there. Yeah. It is that there, it is the, the trigger, but the actual living out of it, to me, doesn't really seem much different than anybody who hasn't had a baby and they're depressed. Would that be right. correct? Yeah, so, I, I would say that's correct. Well, here's another thing that I find very, very, very frequently is when I teach my courses, particularly my comprehensive course, I'm astonished to find that most people in the room do not understand the difference between baby blues and postpartum depression. So help us with what's what's the difference there? Well, again, it really has to do mostly with how long the symptoms go on. Um, you know, a lot of, there has been a lot of debate about is the baby blues a sort of separate entity or is it just an earlier version of postpartum depression? Um, I actually kind of lean more toward the second view. I actually think it's kind of the, you know, the kind of early sort of precursor. And again, you can have a day or two where you suddenly feel very weepy and where you just yes. kind of can't cope. Now, yes. that tends to be sort of transient and we don't worry too much about that. But, you know, if, if it goes on for longer than that, you know, for a day or two, um, I would pay attention to it because it could be that this is the early form of postpartum depression. Uh, so again, like I said, I don't think, you, you know, we should ever sort of minimize it and say, oh, it's just the yes. baby blues. You know, because one thing yeah. that's kind of interesting is like when you look at cross-cultural research, um, there's whole cultures where women don't get the baby blues. You know, wow. in our culture, they're so, they're so common that we think it's just, you know, inevitable. Um, right. But there's whole cultures where they don't. And usually the difference is this, those are cultures that take really good care of their mothers uh, after um, birth. And we don't. No, no, we don't. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've always said is that about the time that the milk comes in, the tears come in. Yeah. But with so many women, it is, I like your word, transient. You know, it lasts a few days or even maybe more than a few days but you know in a week or so it's pretty much gone and where I feel concerned is when I see it substantially later and I think you're also saying that it can be a um, I don't know if precursor or predictor might be the word but it's something like I I, I use the word to other nurses I say vigilant be mm. vigilant yeah and so you know the the definition, actually, for a major depressive disorder is that the symptoms go on for two weeks. You know, ah. so again, that gives you a little bit of kind of, kind of, kind of some criteria there. But it's like, yeah, I said, okay. if it if it goes on more than a couple of days, I I definitely want to pay attention to it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, and the other thing is, it seems to me that sometimes people accept it as, oh, well, this is what happens. This everybody has the baby blues. It's like, no, 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 not like this. Right. So, exactly. Uh, uh, Kathy, when I was a very young nurse, I saw a woman with an absolutely full-blown 101% uh, uh, postpartum psychosis. Mm. Um, how, from the, the standpoint of 
being a psychologist and knowing the research much better than I do in this department, uh, how, how do you differentiate the psychosis? Well, the biggest difference is, you know, with psychosis, there's a break with reality. Oh, you know, yeah. so you yeah. suddenly are not, you know, you're not, you're seeing things that aren't there. You're hearing voices yes. that aren't there, yes. um, you know, and the most common type of postpartum psychosis is actually bipolar disorder with psychosis. Uh, so again, think about, you know, you know, somebody who suddenly goes into like a full blown manic episode yep. with psychosis. Yep. Um, yep. And that is, that's actually the most common, but fortunately it's actually statistically speaking pretty rare. Well, yes. And I'm, I'm, Oh, uh, thank you. That uh, I was aware of that, but actually, you just gave a really good phrase for me, at least. When I've seen it, it's a break with reality, and you could yeah. you could write four more books on it. But to me, it would always boil down to the the break with reality. So, so here's another thing that I get quite a bit, which is. Is breastfeeding a risk factor for postpartum depression, or is it protective against postpartum depression, or or what? Can you give us some statistics on that? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> I bet you can. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I love it. Um, no, it is actually, it's protective. And I think actually, you know, for, for many, many years, we, we had in the postpartum depression world, we had a myth that it was a risk factor for it. Um, it isn't. Uh, and it's like the more research that we get on this, the, you know, and the more we sort of understand the physiology of depression, the more we understand why breastfeeding is protective. Breastfeeding protects mothers because it, it, it improves their sleep. It kind of turns off or what we say downregulates the stress response, the inflammatory response, the things that actually lead to depression. We even found it with trauma survivors to be protective. You know, uh, we have a we had a large sample of sexual assault survivors in our in our sleep study, and it's like it turned off the effects of the trauma. Now it was still there, but it was a lot less. Uh, and again, it's really kind of a physiological thing. You know, it's like I said, once we understand how that sort of stress response actually increases the risk of depression for moms, and we see that breastfeeding is something that kind of turns it off, uh, we we can realize why it is protective. Now, I do so, want to say breastfeeding problems, on the other hand, can cause depression. It's all well, the more hold reason that, hold why that thought, we need just a lactation help. Yeah, yeah. hold that because I want to back up. Um, yep. Kathy, when I have, because as you know, I'm kind of a clinical soul. So I, I look at this uh, maybe with a different pair of glasses, which is probably good that both of us are, are committed to this, but <laughs> in a different way. Um, it seems to me like in just a simple way, breastfeeding is normal. And so if you think about breastfeeding as being normal, whereas artificial feeding is not normal, then wouldn't that seem to make some sense as to why uh, breastfeeding would be protective? Is that a reasonable assumption? Oh, I think it is. And I, I, this is the way I kind of look at it. You know, it's like okay. women have a certain vulnerability to depression kind of in that perinatal period during pregnancy and postpartum because they've got this kind of ramped up immune system that's getting ready for their bodies to have a baby. You know, but then we add all the other things, you know, women's history of trauma, if they've got a lot of stress, all this stuff kind of bumps it up into the normal abnormal range and into the depression range. Does it make sense that nature would leave women so vulnerable to depression without giving them anything to counter that? You know, and in my opinion, the answer to that is no, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense that nature would provide something that would be a counter, and breastfeeding very much is that. Oh, I'm liking that a lot. Because, you know, so many times, you and I have both been in this breastfeeding world long enough to know that breastfeeding is really designed 
for survival of the species. Absolutely. So uh, I really like what you just said about how if nature has put the mother in this one spot, then it seems like nature would also protect the mother by by this act of breastfeeding. And I always remind people that it's conception, gestation, partuition, lactation. It is a cycle. And yep. that's the that's the part that a lot of people just don't really get is that that's the way it's supposed to be designed. And so, yes, you have indeed said that statistically women are are less at risk if they are breastfeeding. And I don't know, you just really made a lot of sense of that for me. Oh, wow. I got to tell you, this has been so interesting. And I would like to just remind everybody that we are speaking with Kathleen Kendall Tackett, expert, author, and woman extraordinaire on the topic of depression and other disorders. Uh, I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to to be Breastfed. Do not go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Born to be Breastfed, where I am the host, and I am lucky to have Dr. Kathleen Kendall, uh, uh, excuse me, Dr. Kathleen Kendall Tackett, who is here with us today to talk about postpartum depression. Before we move on, and before I uh, ask Kathy for her next set of thoughts, I would just like to give a brief word of thanks to our sponsor for the show, uh, New Angel. You should know that this is a woman-owned business that makes products for women. If you need bras, bibs, diapers, pillows, you name it, uh, that's the place to go. It's www.nuangel.com. And I would also like to say that if you have questions for me or for Dr. Kathleen Kendall Tackett, please send your email questions to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. And we won't be able to answer those questions on the show today, but we will try to get back to you. This is really a show where we try to bust the myths, clarify the facts, and we want to make sure that you go away from maybe not today's show, but the show in general, knowing that you really got your myths busted and your facts clarified. So, Kathy, before we left off, we were talking about how breastfeeding does not put the mother at greater risk for postpartum depression. And that's that's really great. But where exactly does breastfeeding fit into this maternal health uh, status or mood disorder? And you started to address the whole idea of the inflammatory process and how it affects uh, pregnancy and the postpartum period. Can you help us to get a better grip on that? Sure. It's um, In some ways, it's kind of a complicated area, but in, in other ways, it's, it's relatively straightforward. We can think about it in terms of the stress response. There's kind of three parts to the stress response, and the research I'm actually going to be pulling from is from a field called psychoneuroimmunology. Uh, and again, like I said, if you want to check out my website, I've got a lot of um, articles up there if you want to you know, read more about this. Uh, but if you think about the stress response in terms of kind of a three-part response, you know, the first is kind of the fight-or-flight response. Again, we've known about that since the 1950s. It's been very well documented. Uh, yeah. The second is what's known as the HPA access, which it stands for the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access. Basically, right. where this is where you get the stress hormone cortisol. You know, and, you know, mid-90s, you know, through kind of early 2000s, we really did a lot of research looking at that interaction between immune system, or excuse me, not immune system, uh, catecholamine or the uh, fight-or-flight response and the cortisol response. And, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing kind of how those two interacted with each other, especially around depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, Psychoneuroimmunology came along and said, well, wait a second, the immune system is also part of the stress response. And the way the immune system responds to perceived threat is that it increases inflammation. Okay, I might think, okay, well, why would it do that? Well, the inflammatory molecules actually have a couple of really important purposes. They fight infection and they heal wounds. Okay, so if your body thinks you're under threat, doesn't it make sense? They're kind of rallying the troops to get them ready in case you're injured. 
Right. Okay. Well, what the psychoneuroimmunology researchers have con- have really kind of discovered is that our mental state actually contributes to that inflammatory response. You know, so things like depression actually increases that inflammatory response. And it's one of the reasons why there's a connection between things like depression and heart disease. You Absolutely. know, because when you have that chronically, am- uh, uh, you know, uh, increased uh, inflammation response. Well, we also see that it works the other way. If you've got a lot of inflammation, you're at an increased risk for depression. Okay, so as I mentioned, you know, like in the perinatal period, during pregnancy, you know, your body is preparing for the fact that you're going to have an open cervix for six weeks. So it's getting the troops ready. You know, it's starting to have those inflammatory molecules ready for you in case you, you know, there's any kind of infection. You know, and again, that normal elevation is not a problem. But we add all the other things that contribute to depression, you know, history of trauma, history of things like depression or PTSD, uh, you know, just ongoing kind of chronic stress, uh, you know, sleep problems. All these things add up. And what they do is then they push that inflammatory response up into the depression range. So, Kathy, okay. would, it be, would it be fair then to say in just a simple way that this inflammatory mood disorder thing is a true two-way street? Yes, it is. Okay. They contribute to okay. each other. And and that's part of the problem, too, because, you know, it's like inflammation increases depression, but depression increases inflammation. And so you can get into this very bad sort of upward spiral with it. And I would just like to say for anybody that's listening, the only time that I think I had four head colds inside of about two months was a time in my life when I was just very, 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 very stressed. And it's because, you know, they go together, as you've just demonstrated. So so tell me this. uh, What about mothers who experience you know, breastfeeding problems, whatever problem it happens to be, how does that affect the mother's mental health? Well, um, especially things like pain. If she's experiencing pain, you know, pain is a signal that we're under threat, you know, that we're under. And so that's going to increase inflammation. And so there's a very strong link between pain and depression. Uh, But also just even things like if the mom has a low milk supply and she's worried about that, you know, that kind of chronic worry and stuff, again, it's going to increase that sort of, you know, upregulation of that whole stress response and it's going to increase her risk for depression because of it. So any kind of breastfeeding problem is going to increase her risk for depression, especially if it's not dealt with. You know, we found actually that even women who have severe pain, if they're getting breastfeeding help, you know, even if the pain doesn't necessarily resolve right away, just the fact that they have help is protective. You know, so again, it's very important that, that mothers get help. What, what really kills me is like when I talk to a mom, I, I met a mom one time in England. She had been going around to healthcare providers for seven weeks telling them that she was in pain. And they kept saying, well, your latch looks fine. Yeah. Well, clearly something was going on because she was in a lot of pain. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, I, I, I think sometimes we're a little cavalier with that. And, I, you know, these breastfeeding problems. And, you know, unfortunately, I think we're probably not as proactive with them as we should be. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it's one of the reasons why I think, you know, having lactation involved in the discussion of perinatal mood disorders is really critical. Well, you know, it's funny because I was working with a woman here just a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, who had told basically everybody who spoke English about her pain and her issues, and she was just kind of poo-pooed with the "oh, well, you know, some people's nipples get sore, go away, go home, you know, it'll be." It's like, whoa, whoa, and uh, I, I think that in my experience, having taken care of women, what I find is that when they feel what I call set adrift. Yeah. That is when they start, it, there's a downhill spiral. Oh, it makes sense. And uh, so, 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 Kathleen, tell us of this. 
What about those who have those women who have been sexually assaulted in the past? Seems to me that these are the mothers that might have frightened themselves into formula feeding because they're so afraid that they're going to have bad memories, or maybe they haven't even considered uh, breastfeeding because. Nobody has mentioned breastfeeding because, at least in my experience, and I get this all the time when I teach my course, oh, but, you know, she's been sexually assaulted, and so, therefore, we can't, we can't even talk to her yeah. about breastfeeding because, you know, that's just too, too traumatic. And it's like, well, now, wait a minute. So, tell me, am I nuts on this one or what? No, you're not nuts on this one. Um, in fact, I, I might I be nuts, but not on this one. <laughs> not on this one. <laughs> but we're, we're, I think we're selling women short when we do that. Um, and that's very paternalistic because yeah. the, really the studies that we've seen, you know, there were two small studies. One found that women with a history of sexual abuse were more likely to intend to breastfeed and another showed a higher rate of initiation. I mean, it was two and a half times the, grade, the rate of initiation. And in some ways, those are kind of counterintuitive. Um, but, you know, with our sample, we had, again, 994 women with a history of sexual assault. It was exactly the same percentage of women who were, um, you know, in the rest of the sample was 6,400. You know, so it was exactly the same percentage. It was 78% with both. Or we're exclusively breastfeeding. Okay, so, so again, yeah. I, th- I think that that says, you know, uh, and we've got data now. And I, I think that what that says is don't assume. Well, one of the things that I wonder is, to use a colloquial expression, I wonder if if these women want to, as they used to say, get a, a piece of the hair of the dog that bit ya, you know? I would wonder if they feel like if they did do breastfeeding, then they would be using their breasts in a way that was a positive way. Is, is, do you think there's any validity to that? Well, I've certainly heard mothers say that, um, you know, and again, you know, I, I've had mothers tell me, you know, I had one mom tell me she had nursed four four children and had never liked breastfeeding ever. And even though she was a Lilithia League leader and, you know, had done, you know, the whole bit, I mean, long-term breastfeeding, the tandem breastfeeding, you know, and I had to ask, I said, oh my gosh, why? I said, why are you doing it? She goes, because it's important, you know, oh. and she said, you know, she, cause she said, I got to a point where I could tolerate it. Okay, and she said and that was good enough. And then other women yeah. will tell you that it's, you know, it's really healing. You know, other women are really overwhelmed by it. And so you, we really always have to kind of go on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. You know, but one of the things I always say is, you know, find out what the mother wants to do. But right. don't put your assumptions on her, right. you know, because right. it's very paternalistic to do that. Don't protect her if she doesn't want protecting in an area. Uh, boy, I could talk about that for days, and I'm sure you yeah. could too. But let's let's move to um, here's another one that I hear sometimes is about the nighttime feeding. Uh, yeah. A lot of mothers these days seem to have been told that they shouldn't breastfeed at night because yep. the night feeding increases their risk for postpartum depression. Well, what do you say? <laughs> well, again, it's very nice when we have data on this, and we do. You know, same large sample, 6,410 mothers. Uh, we found, actually, that the women who were breastfeeding only, which is, you know, ex- we didn't call them exclusive breastfeeding because that's a little more technical. That means they've never sure. had a supplement like ever. But these sure. are the women who were saying that they were only breastfeeding. Uh, we found, actually, this huge difference in terms of total number of hours they slept, their daily energy, their overall rating of their physical health, um, and also their risk for depression, anxiety, and, you know, anger. Uh, all these things went down if they were breastfeeding only. Now, what was interesting is the mixed feeding mothers did not look significantly different from the formula feeding mothers on any of the measures, which is really weird. That's not that's not what I expected to find. I expected that yeah. the, mo- the more breastfeeding you did, the better, but it wasn't that way. It, it was a threshold. And so basically what that I think was showing us was that the um, 
exclusive breastfeeding or breastfeeding only is a very physiologically different thing than mixed feeding. And so when, when people start telling mothers, and we've got about five different studies now that show the same thing. When people start telling mothers, oh, you just, you know, especially if they're starting to show some signs of depression, you know, oh, you just need to supplement, you know, you need to get some sleep. We're actually going to find they're probably going to get less sleep. Okay, and again, it's it's not to say that if we if we don't have a mother if we have a mother who's just hanging on by a thread, okay, we need to do a certain intervention there for her. For sure, for but sure. But as general advice, it's ridiculous to tell mothers not to breastfeed at night, because you're actually probably increasing her risk of depression when we do that. Yeah, well, that's that's news for a lot of the people who are listening. And lucky for us, we have a very credible source here. Uh, for all of you who are listening, I hope you are just absolutely thrilled with the amount of scientific evidence that we have heard from Dr. Kathleen Kendall-Tackett. Do not go away. I'm Marie Biancuso. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. We'll be right back after the short break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. 
That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto, your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here with Dr. Kathleen Kendall-Tackett today, who is uh, a specialist in depression. And in this case, we're talking about postpartum depression. Before we uh, went for the break, we were talking really about those things that were myths as related to whether breastfeeding is protective against uh, depression or whether it was a risk factor. And I think that Kathy has really convinced us that in fact breastfeeding is protective and that includes uh, breastfeeding at night. So Kathy, how about this? You know, it seems to me that there are some women who don't recognize their symptoms or worse yet, we healthcare professionals can miss the signs and symptoms. Uh, You know, sometimes the woman comes in for her six weeks checkup and, you know, it's it's not like she's got... um, some physical thing that stands out and yet she she seems depressed yeah but that's to those who actually can see some of those things that are a little more subtle or sometimes she's putting on a show if you know what I mean because she doesn't really want people to see her as she really is so how can we if we are the mother or if we are the healthcare provider how can we help to see those red flags that postpartum depression is there or it's around the corner well, there's a couple things you can do. I mean, first of all, you know, having some kind of screening items in your questionnaires or, you know, in your, when you, when you see a mom, you know, it's like, um, I use a lot the, what's known as the PHQ2, which is a two item screener. It's the patient health questionnaire too. Um, and it's, it's a real easy, it's asking about, you know, sort of, you know, in the past, you know, a couple of weeks, if you've been feeling, you know, down, hopeless, depressed or down. Um, and then we ask about, um, you know, do they have any pleasure in, in things that, you know, they, they experience, you know, and so those are fairly simple, straightforward questions, but you're right. I mean, oftentimes mothers will kind of really be invested in kind of hiding it because they think that they're, they're the only ones who aren't coping. And so they think, oh my God, I must be such a horrible mother because I just can't, you know, I'm just not dealing with this. Um, and so a question that I've actually come up with, and again, this comes right out of our research, uh, is if you can ask a mother how many minutes it takes her to get to sleep. That's a really good predictor of depression, you know, and it's interesting because 20 minutes or less is okay. 25 minutes is not okay, you know, so, you know, again, that, that, that's one of those ones because, you know, and depending on the mother's culture too, in a lot of cultures it's really not okay to talk about depression, okay, right. but you can talk about things like fatigue. And so that's a real good way of really getting a kind of a beat on where the mother is at without necessarily being very intrusive, you know, and so we can kind of then, you know, act as if, you know, one of the things I kind of recommend for healthcare providers is that we have offices that sort of provide information for us. You know, we have posters on the walls, you know, of our rooms. We have, we have brochures out. And, you know, oftentimes, even if a mother, you know, won't ask for help from a healthcare right. provider, if they could pick up a brochure or something and take it home and read it, you know, they may all of a sudden come back and say, oh, wait, that's me. You know, so again, as I said, having information available, but also, you know, just knowing a couple of kind of key questions. And even if a mom comes back and says, you know, no to everything else, you know, you can just pretty much have a kind of a, an, an eye on her and kind of watch and see how she's doing. Yes, yes. Because, you know, here's the thing, and I, I have seen this, I guess, over many years as a nurse. It's okay to say that your bottom hurts because you've got postpartum hemorrhoids or something, but it's not okay to say uh, 
I feel bad about myself or I feel bad about uh, being a bad mother or I am a bad mother or I, you know, I'm, people just don't say that kind of stuff. Right. None of us wants to feel like a nutcase. All right. Right. And yet at some point or another in our life, most of us have had our ups and downs. It's just that for most of us, they resolve. But and I think that, Kathy, don't you think that's true, too, is that the mother sometimes just thinks, oh, it's going to go away. Well, mothers and healthcare providers think that. That's yeah. one of the reasons yeah. why I think they kind of minimize it. But yeah. it's like, you know, there have been a couple of studies where they followed mothers, like over the, say, the first three years. You know, and yeah, half of them recover, but half of them don't. Don't. You know, three years later. And think about all the misery that's happened in that family, you know, that really didn't have to happen. You right. know, and so that's actually one of the reasons why I think it's just important that we talk about this. The other thing to just know is like, you know, when we, even when we looked in our sample, 50% of them, 50% of the mothers in there reported a history of, de- of depression at some point in their life. Yep. You know, and when you start looking at like sexual assault survivors, it went up to 70 and 80%. Okay, so depression is common. It's really common. And so it's, you know, I think part of the, you know, getting away from the sort of stigma of this is just realizing this is part of life. You know, and it's like this is an indication that, you know, there's something going on. Uh, you know, and it could be that, you know, it's a lack of support lack of support or you you know mother's trying to juggle it all she's trying to be perfect maybe she has a history of trauma there could be a whole kind of raft of things going on but you know oftentimes it is very predictable it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier you know depression is pretty predictable people act sometimes like with postpartum depression you know you're walking along one day and a piano falls out the window on you <laughs> you know and it's like it isn't really that you can actually right. sit there and kind of say okay well you have this risk factor and this one and this one and this one and yes this depression is a very normal reaction given those risk factors and one of the things you did not mention on the air, but um, I'm assuming that you have implied, is any woman who has a baby who's in the NICU or a baby is very fragile or maybe she's had a, a baby that she's lost. Absolutely. Any of those, yeah. All of those factors. And in fact, you know, in some ways that seems so obvious to me, but researchers are just now kind of discovering it and saying, wow, look at this. And it's kind of like, you know, Whoa. sometimes you kind of wonder, you know, what are they thinking? You know, of course it's going to be a problem. You know, yeah. of course it's going to be a problem. You know, the, the thing that's more amazing, I mean, the question I think, you know, just from a research standpoint that's more interesting is how come some mothers don't get it? Right. You know, but it's like, right. yeah, anytime you have any kind of perinatal loss, I mean, all that stuff, you know, if we think about it in terms of kind of just, a, you know, accumulation of kind of adversities, you know, that increases the risk of depression. Kathy, a lot of women actually fortunately are, well, fortunately in the sense that they're recognized and then they are diagnosed with postpartum depression. And then what I see is that um, the premier healthcare provider provides, uh, prescribes some sort of medication. Right. Uh, we're not going to ask you to give medical advice. That's right. not what we're here for. And you're not qualified and neither am I. But maybe you can give to all of us, healthcare providers or parents, um, some reassurance about medications for depression um, that the research literature considers to be, quote, compatible with breast milk. Yeah. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, and again, like I said, we have really good references on this stuff now. Um, you know, there's certain of the antidepressants that we that we like better um, in terms of, you know, the amount of exposure that the baby gets via milk. Uh, it's really on some of these medications very, very small. Uh, and in fact, you know, even though it shows up in the milk, a lot of times it's not showing up in the infant plasma, you know, which means the baby's getting, you know, just a small amount of exposure to it. And so, you know, the, the question sometimes people have to ask is, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes pharmacists will tell mothers, oh, well, you should probably just use formula just to be safe. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, you know, and it's kind of a crazy thing because it's like, yes. 
you know, it's probably, there's risk associated with formula use. And, and so we have to kind of weigh that risk. The risk of a baby being exposed to medication via breast milk versus a baby on, on formula. You know, and again, oftentimes the risk associated with the medication in breast milk is significantly less. Yes. Uh, so again, yeah, we know like things like Zoloft, Paxil, um, those are medications that baby tends to get very, you know, low exposure to. Um, Prozac, the baby gets more exposure, but we have like 30 years of research and there doesn't seem to really be any significant long-term effects you know, past the age of about three. You do see some differences before then. Um, so, you know, we really do have some reassurance on this. There's only one class of medication you cannot breastfeed on, and that is the monamine oxidase inhibitors, or MAOIs. All oh, the MAOs, yeah. Yeah, and you know what? Um, I've never, in all the years I've talked to moms, I've never had a mom on those. Well, so, you know, I was just going to say that. I was going to say, Kathy, am, am I like out of touch with reality? Because the last time that I ever remember somebody being on an MAO, I remember the doctor I was working for and I haven't worked for him in more than 30 years. And I'm thinking, is anybody on MAOs these days? And it sounds like at least here in the U.S. And by the way, we do have an international audience. So right. so there might be people out there. But all right. So, so let me ask you this then. Supposing that we have a breastfeeding mother who simply doesn't, she says, I don't, I don't care what these guys say. I don't care if they tell me yeah. the Zoloft is okay. I don't care if they tell me Paxil is okay. Right, I don't right. care about it. I, I, I do not want to be taking this junk in my body. Then what do you say to that? I would say, okay, then we do need to definitely treat your depression, but there's lots of complementary and alternative ways we can do that. That's what I would say. Talk to us about that. Okay. Um, there's a number of things. Um, St. John's wort, which is the most widely prescribed antidepressant in, in the world. Uh, it appears to be actually, you know, compatible with breastfeeding. Um, there's a little more iffy stuff about using it during pregnancy. So honestly, I'd probably steer away from that just until we know more. Uh, it's used widely in Germany, um, but it's like, mm, you know, it's like I said, that one I'd be a little more leery about. Omega-3 fatty acids, uh, oh. exercise, a couple of great randomized clinical trials from Duke University Medical Center where they put Zoloft head-to-head with exercise for major depression and found the exercise was as effective. I am not surprised. Yeah. And so, um, uh, you know, we know that infant massage helps. Um, We know that uh, social support helps. I mean, so it's kind of like you could start thinking about kind of crafting together, you know, um, a plan for a mom that includes those things. You know, we know bright light therapy helps is another thing. Um, And so we could put together a plan. What I would want to do, though, is I would want to say, okay, if we're not going to do antidepressants, then what we want to do is we're going to put, we're going to use omega-3s and we're going to use, you know, exercise and and I'm going to check back with you in three or four weeks and we're going to measure the depression again and see if it's gotten any better you know there's two different kinds of psychotherapy that are particularly effective with postpartum depression Uh, one is cognitive behavioral therapy which just is great with depression in general and another is called interpersonal psychotherapy um, and that really focuses on the mother's relationships and the quality of those relationships and kind of how she can get more social support Uh, and we're finding actually pretty short-term pretty short-term use of those treatments uh, is actually very very effective Kathy, I am also just kind of jumping to the conclusion that you're, you would say that it doesn't necessarily mean that the woman stops the meds, but she might, in other words, she might be doing the meds concurrently with right. the omega-3s or the yep. exercise or the whatever. Yep. And we've got less than about 30 seconds left. Just tell me, uh, the infant massage, we had a program on that earlier. What's the connection there? If the baby gets the massage, the mother's depression is lower? 
Yeah. Um, well, for one thing, it helps her connect with her baby, which is great. Oh, but right. the other thing right. is, remember, we're thinking about those physiological systems. Remember that we've got the stress response. Now, the, the flip side of that is that oxytocin response. Oh, and right, when the oxytocin right. response is up, which is, you know, one of the ways you get that is through things like massage. Absolutely. Um, when the oxytocin response is up, the mother's depression goes down because the stress response goes down. Oh, and you know, as you're talking about this, I know that I have read that in a study, and it just it just wasn't coming to my brain, so I'm really glad that you expounded upon that. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuzzo with Born to be Breastfed. I'm here with Dr. Kathleen Kendall-Tackett. Uh, we will be back right back right after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuzo or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, 
Back to the show. Hi, everybody. I'm Marie Biancuto, and I am here with Dr. Kathleen Kendall Tackett. Uh, Tell me, did you ever think it was going to be so much fun to talk about a topic like depression? I think that you've probably had some really good insights into some stuff that Kathy and I have been talking about. And just a disclaimer, which I know is on my website, which if you haven't been there, you better go there, all right? It's www.borntobebreastfed.com. Make sure you look at my blog or anything else while you're there. Um, But notice in the fine print, it clearly says that everything that is said on this show is not medical advice. It is only intended for informational purposes. Hey, Kathy, you know, before we went to break, you were telling me something that's kind of a near and dear uh, thing to my heart, which is for five weeks, we had a friend who was doing a pharmacy rotation uh, because she was an an intern in a pharmacy program. And uh, she said to me one time, I have learned more about breastfeeding and drugs sitting at your dining room table than I've learned in college. Because Mm. in college, what they basically tell us is, uh, oh, well, just have the mother formula feed and then, you know, the, the risk is gone. Just tell her to just quit breastfeeding. Bam. And one of the things that I want to pick up on is the Bam. Uh, Tell us why it's not a good idea for women to wean abruptly if they are depressed. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that they lose if they do that is, you know, I mean, first there's the psychosocial loss, you know, just feeling like they've really lost something. They've lost that connection with their baby. And you hear mothers say that kind of over and over and over again. Okay. But from just a physiological standpoint, you're no longer getting some of those, you know, anti-anxiety, antidepressive, you know, kinds of things that breastfeeding provides. You know, you tend to, you know, not sleep as well. It tends to take you longer to go back to sleep after you wake up to feed your baby. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have, you know, less energy during the day. I mean, all of these things are going to kind of, in my opinion, contribute to your depression. Now, it's not to say that for some mothers, you know, stopping breastfeeding, you know, isn't the right thing. There, there are mothers occasionally that that's true for. Um, but I actually find a lot of times mothers get pressured uh, to stop yes. breastfeeding. And I used to get just, you know, hundreds of calls over the years from La Leche League, um, you know, mothers getting referred to me from La Leche League because they had been, you know, diagnosed with depression and immediately told to wean. And, you yes. know, it's it's absurd. And it's like, you know, and the things that kind of killed me is I knew for every mother who called me, there were 10 who didn't. You know, those mothers were empowered enough to, you know, get a second opinion. Yes. Uh, and, and that's the thing I think that's really kind of a problem. But you miss that sort of all that anti-stress effect that you get with breastfeeding, you know, if you abruptly wean like that. Uh, and so, again, like I said, I think that there's just, you know, there are a number of pieces of, you know, of, of problems with that advice. You know, and again, like as we, we were saying, too, sometimes, you know, pharmacists will tell moms, well, just do it just to be safe. Just to well, be safe. You know, yep. Yeah, let's, you know, to not have any kind of risk. Well, there is risk. You know, there's always risk. Um, and there's risk associated with not breastfeeding. And so that has to always be balanced. And so again, like I said, I think actually medications can certainly be part of the piece. Uh, but, you know, for many mothers, and there are a lot of reasons why people don't want to be on antidepressants. Sure. Uh, you know, it's good to know that we have lots of other alternative treatments that work with major depression. You know, it's like when I first started kind of talking about alternative treatments, I'd have people say, well, yeah, but that's fine for, you know, mild to moderate depression, but not for major depression. For that, you need drugs. It's like, well, I'm sorry, the studies don't actually show that. Uh, and in fact, I had this one time I wrote an article and the editor came back and she said, well, you're making it sound like women can just not take medications and they can just exercise. 
And I said, yes, that's what I'm yes, saying. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm Good saying. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. Well, and you know, the other thing that comes up for, from uh, my standpoint, and I get this uh, in people that are sitting in my course, yeah, but you know, how do I tell the mother that her doctor is wrong? I said, well, what you tell the mother is that the doctor has a right to his own opinion, mm-hmm. but she, the mother, always has a right to a second opinion. Absolutely. She, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've said that. So, Kathy, you know, for the benefit of those who might not have joined us in the beginning, um, we got to kind of start wrapping up here. Uh, I've got about two minutes to give you to tell us, actually less than two minutes, tell us the three main take-home messages that you want women, providers, parents to take home uh, after this show today. Well, first of all, you know, just know that depression is remarkably common and it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. In fact, it's really predictable given, you know, the number of risk factors and we've got so many risk factors in our culture, lack of support from others, breastfeeding problems, you know, needing to go back to work so soon. All of these things increase the risk for depression. So it's, it's common, it's treatable, okay, and it should be treated. You know, and that's something that I think is very important because sometimes mothers will think, oh, I don't want to be selfish and take the time to do this. And I put selfish doing quotation marks, with, you know, with my fingers here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not yeah, selfish. Well, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it really is that kind of being able to sort of balance that self-care with taking care of somebody else. And I think that that's always an important kind of balance. And I think sometimes we swing so far sometimes over into the selfless end, you know, that we, we neglect, you know, taking care of ourselves. And depression is oftentimes a result. Depression is often an indication that there's something kind of out of balance in our lives. And, you know, and so again, like I said, you know, one of the things I've really kind of tried to do is normalize it for people, you know, to understand, you know, we, we had anywhere between 15, 80% of the mothers in our study reporting that they had a history of depression. Depression is common, 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 common. And so again, we need to stop acting like it's some kind of, you know, rare, you know, freakish occurrence. It isn't. Yes. And I think the other take home message that you really had was remember that treatable doesn't necessarily mean just mean drugs mean drugs it doesn't necessarily mean pharmaceuticals. there's a whole flock of other things that uh is i think you just really summed it up for me at least a minute ago when you said you were criticized and the guy says are are you saying that this is the only uh well i guess it was the reverse uh well dr tackett you're 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 implying that this is the only thing the woman needs and you're saying well yeah Yeah, uh, that is, you know, works. that exercise works, it works, you know, I said, you've got two big studies from Duke University Medical Center, you know, it's kind of like I'd refer them there, you know, um, if you, I know you wanted me to talk a little bit about my websites, but on, on both my breastfeeding made simple and also the, uh, my other site, which is uppityscienceschick.com, um, and both of those, I have actually handouts from others on lots of different aspects Ooh, of depression. So I've got good. one on exercise, I've got one on omega-3s, um, you know, one on alternative treatments. So there's a, a whole bunch of resources. You know, so in terms of like dealing with your doctor, I mean, I I don't necessarily, you know, feel like it's my place either to necessarily say your doctor's wrong about this, but to say, well, let me, let me give you some more information. And let me just say that it's not one or the other. It might be one or the other, but it might be two things going at once until until you can drop the drugs. And uh, to me, uh, people just need to understand that it doesn't mean that you're going to be on, well, it doesn't have to mean 
that you're going to be on drugs for, for forever or that it's, it has to be one or the other. I don't know where the time right. ever goes on this show, but honestly, we just never, ever, ever, ever have enough time. I would like to thank our very special guest today, Dr. Kathleen Kendall Tackett, for being with us. I don't know about you, but I have totally enjoyed talking with her. And I'd like to invite you to come back next week, uh, same time, same channel. Uh Kathy, I know I just kind of excused you, but can you tell us again, please, uh, the, your two websites, please? Uh, yes, uh, breastfeedingmadesimple.com. Uh, and that's, again, where I've got a lot of, you know, if you want follow-up information about, you know, um, some things we didn't talk about today, which is trauma related to the birth experience or uh, abuse survivors, uh, I, depression. Um, but also the other one is uppityscienchick.com. Okay, uppityscienchick.com. Uh, thank yes. you, everybody, and thank you, Dr. Kathleen Kendall Tackett. I'm Marie Biancuto, and I promise I will help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, you just remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.